And if you think only humans do that, think again. I've watched dogs seeing their owners off to work, and then when they are about to come home, waiting at a driveway, looking at the direction by which the owners are expected to return on YouTube. Just search for dogs waiting for owners to come home on YouTube, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> dogs do that to show their unconditional love for their pack members much like what Anna and Tobit would do, anticipating their son's return in the book of Tobit. Now, how did Tobit look out for his son while he was blind? Hello and welcome. The Setting Apart podcast is a pit stop where you can get nourished, encouraged, and refreshed whenever you need a break. I am your host, IP, and every episode I get to share my stories, my outlook, my reflections on all things inspired through the lens of faith. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, relax, and chill. In the last episode, or Tobit chapter 10, both Tobit and Anna grew wearied, fearing for the worst while waiting for their son Tobiah to return home, not knowing that Tobiah, in fact, had been greatly blessed. In addition to successfully accomplishing what he has set out to do, that is, to collect the money owed to his father, he successfully married Sarah his match made in heaven by casting out the demon away from her, and he also inherited half the wealth of his in-laws. So it has been a most bountiful trip for Tobiah by all counts. Yet his parents expected the worst, fearing that he may be dead. It reminded me of the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 to 27. If our Heavenly Father provides for the birds who are under our dominion, would He not provide for us who are created in His likeness and image? It turns out that Tobit and Anna were worried over nothing. The lesson learned? Trust in God's providence. And so today, have you ever worried over nothing when in fact you were surrounded by abundant blessings? Albeit the blessings may come a bit later when you least expect it. How can we remove our anxiety and experience peace? Exactly four weeks ago, Modeling after Tobiah, we set out to giving thanks and praising God for the wonderful gifts that He has bestowed on us the first thing we wake up for 30 days. This is to put God first in our lives. So we literally give God a shout out the first moment we wake up. How is that coming along? If you have consistently been doing exactly what we set out to do, Congratulations! Let us keep doing that for the next 30 days. We will continue to urge each other on until it becomes habitual for us. 
So well done and keep it up. If, however, you might have missed a couple of days here and there of Thanksgiving, no problem. Just reset and start from day one again until you hit 30 consecutive days of Thanksgiving. Easy peasy, no problem. Keep it up. In this episode on Tobit chapter 11, Tobiah finally returns home to Nineveh. His parents, Tobit and Anna, were so delighted to finally have their son home, safe and sound. Following the instructions of the archangel, Tobiah successfully restored the sight of Tobit. It has indeed been a happy day for Tobit's household. The entire family has received abundant blessings from God. The Bible I'm reading from is the New American Bible, or the NAB online version, taken from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or the USCCB website. For the Book of Tobit, I also refer to the online version of the Dewey Reims Bible, which is a translation from the Latin Vulgate, whereas the NAB is translated from the Septuagint or the Greek version. As always, the show notes can be found on the website, and the URL is www.settingapart.com, and setting apart is one word. All resources used, for example, the scripture verses, the reflection questions, YouTube links where subtitles of every episode this season is uploaded, all these for the podcast and more can be found in the show notes. I invite you to read along Tobit chapter 11 with me. If you do not have a Bible handy, I got you covered. Check out the Setting Apart channel on YouTube where you can find the subtitles or transcripts for all the episodes in this season there. Again, the YouTube links can be found in the show notes on the Setting Apart website. Now, let us quiet down our heart for the opening prayer as we prepare to read and listen to the Word of God. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, all thanks and glory belong to you. We thank you for gathering us in your name to listen attentively to you with our hearts. As it is written, as your word unfolds, it gives light. Even the simple understand. We pray that the Holy Spirit in our midst could guide us in opening our ears and our heart to be enlightened by your word. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tobit Chapter 11 As they drew near to Kasserine, which is opposite Nineveh, Raphael said, You know how we left your father? Let us hurry on, ahead of your wife, to prepare the house while they are still on the way. So both went on ahead together, and Raphael said to him, 
take the gall in your hand, and the dog ran along behind them. Meanwhile, Anna sat watching the road by which her son was to come. When she saw him coming, she called to his father, "Look, your son is coming!" And the man who travelled with him, Raphael, said to Tobiah before he came near to his father, "I know that his eyes will be opened. Apply the fish gall to his eyes, and the medicine will make the white scales shrink and peel off from his eyes. Then your father will have sight again, and will see." The light of day. Then Anna ran up to her son, embraced him, and said to him, "Now that I've seen you again, son, I am ready to die." And she sobbed aloud. Tobit got up and stumbled out through the courtyard gate to meet his son. Tobiah went up to him, with the fish gall in his hand, and blew into his eyes. Holding him firmly, he said, "Courage, father." Then he applied the medicine to his eyes, and it made them sting. Tobiah used both hands to peel the white scales from the corners of his eyes. Tobit saw his son and threw his arms around him, weeping. He exclaimed, "I can see you, son." The light of my eyes. Then he prayed, "Blessed be God, blessed be His great name, and blessed be all His holy angels. May His great name be with us, and blessed be all the angels throughout all the ages. God, it was who afflicted me, and God who has had mercy on me. Now I see my son Tobiah." Then Tobit went back in, rejoicing and praising God with full voice. Tobiah related to his father how his journey had been a success, that he had brought back the money, and that he had married Raguel's daughter Sarah, who was about to arrive, for she was near the gate of Nineveh. Rejoicing and blessing God. Tobit went out to the gate of Nineveh to meet his daughter-in-law. When the people of Nineveh saw him coming, walking along briskly with no one leading him by the hand, they were amazed. Before them all, Tobit proclaimed how God had shown mercy to him and opened his eyes. When Tobit came up to Sarah, the wife of his son Tobiah. He blessed her and said, "Welcome, my daughter. Blessed be your God for bringing you to us, daughter. Blessed are your father and your mother. Blessed be my son Tobiah, and blessed be you, daughter. Welcome to your home with blessing and joy. Come in, daughter." That day there was joy for all the Jews who lived in Nineveh. A hiker and his nephew Nadine were also on hand to rejoice with Tobit. Tobiah's wedding feast was celebrated with joy for seven days, and many gifts were given to him. As I read Tobit chapter eleven, 
two to three times, a couple of ideas strike me more than others. I will share two of them with you. One, the reaction of the parents. And second, Tobit's blindness. Keep in mind, what might resonate with you may be very different from what strikes me. That's the nature of the living Word of God. He speaks to us personally. The first thing that strikes me is the reaction of the parents. The way Anna sat and was watching the road by which her son left and she expects him to be returning from in Tobit 11 verse 5, it reminds me of the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 10 where they were staring in the sky looking in the direction where Jesus disappeared into the clouds. As St. Ambrose eloquently puts it, and I quote, When we miss someone and hope for their coming, do we not direct our eyes to where we hope they will come from? Unquote. Now that's a reasonable thing to do when yearning for someone to return. And if you think only humans do that, think again. I've watched dogs seeing their owners off to work, and then when they are about to come home, waiting at a driveway, looking at the direction by which the owners are expected to return on YouTube. Just search for dogs waiting for owners to come home on YouTube, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> dogs do that to show their unconditional love for their pack members, much like what Anna and Tobit would do, anticipating their son's return in the book of Tobit. Now, how did Tobit look out for his son while he was blind? Well, we learn that in Tobit chapter 10, verse 1, that he was keeping track of the time Tobiah would need to go and to return. That's how Tobit was anticipating Tobiah's return. The absence of Tobiah caused them a lot of grief, as we have seen in the last episode. When Tobiah finally returns, Anna ran up while Tobit stumbled out across the courtyard gate to meet the sun. This yearning for the sun also reminds me of the father in the parable of the prodigal son, where the father ran up to the younger son when he saw the son returning from far away. And so today, what does the reaction of the father teach us? Recall in Luke 15 verse 20, and I quote, While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him, and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him." Unquote. However, this is where the parallel ends with Tobit. In Luke chapter 15, the repentant prodigal son was seeking forgiveness and healing from the Father, who represents God, the Heavenly Father. Here in Tobit chapter 11, it is the reverse where Tobiah the son, who is bringing healing and the good news to his father, Tobit, who represents 
the Jews. And through the lens of Saint Bede, on the one hand, Tobit's blindness represents the Jews whose hearts were hardened to God, whereas Tobit's faith, on the other hand, represents the remnant of Jews who remained faithful to God. And when we juxtapose the father from the prodigal son parable with Tobit, the father of Tobiah, I see them standing on opposite sides of the same equation. On the one hand, the Heavenly Father knows and is compassionate to what the repentant Jews need. The premise here is that the Jews have the freedom to choose to repent or not. When the Jews are repentant and are seeking forgiveness, they need healing and the salvation of their souls. And that's exactly what the Heavenly Father offers. They are on both sides of the same equation. One is looking forward to giving salvation. The other is looking forward to receiving salvation. Seek and you shall find. When a person's prayer is wholly and entirely aligned with the word and will of God, that person is legitimately praying in the name of Christ. And we see that in John 14, verses 13 to 14. I hope that makes sense. Now, here's the thing. Was Tobit expecting his son to restore his eyesight upon Tobiah's return? Absolutely not. He was simply overjoyed that the son has returned home safe and sound, right? Now, let's go deeper. When Tobiah embarked on the trip to retrieve the money back from Gabriel, did he plan on getting attacked by a big fish? No, it was unexpected. Under the instruction of Raphael, he killed the fish, ate it, and kept the parts of the fish with healing properties, not only to cast the demon out of Sarah, whom he married, but also to restore Tobit's eyesight. Again, unexpectedly, on all counts. In addition, Tobiah also received a windfall of half the inheritance from his in-laws. These are clearly the bonus blessings Tobiah never expected at the outset of the trip. His biggest bonus, in my opinion, is that he got to walk with an archangel the entire trip. What a gift. The key takeaway for me, we are not in control. God is. Both Tobit and Sarah prayed to God to let him die. But guess what? God has other plans for them. It is God who sends Raphael to protect and bless Tobiah, Sarah, and their families. Praise the Lord. And so today, let us ponder. Think of a favor you believe God has done for you and your family. How did you give thanks for it? Did you keep your gratitude to yourself? 
or did you make it known to others? I would encourage you to hit the pause button to ponder on the blessings God has given you and your family and take note of it. You can resume play when you're done. Okay, when you're back, here's the question. Why should you make your blessings or gratitude known to others? Because sharing is caring, right? (laughs) Recall in chapter 8 of episode 10, you know, we looked at um, CCC, paragraph 1816, which says, and I quote, The disciple of Christ must not only keep the faith and live on it, but also profess it, confidently bear witness to it, and spread it. Service of and witness to the faith are necessary for salvation. Unquote. As written in Matthew 10, 32-33, and I quote, So everyone who acknowledges me before man, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Unquote. Amen. Amen. I hope that makes sense. The key takeaway here is God is in control. If God is in control, would it not make sense for us to surrender ourselves fully to God? And when we do, perhaps we might stop worrying about things that are not important and start focusing on things that are. Now, the second thing that strikes me when reading Tobit chapter 11 is Tobit's blindness. The white scales in Tobit's eyes remind me of the white scales in St. Paul's when he too became blind. Recall in Acts chapter 9 verse 18, and I quote, Immediately, things like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. Unquote. Since the lifting of the veil before his eyes, St. Paul went on to become the apostle to the pagans or Gentiles for Jesus Christ. Again, that itself strikes me that we are not in control. God is. You see, God chooses the different gifts we receive to serve Him. The white scales block our vision and make us blind. According to St. Bede, it is spiritual blindness since, and I quote, the Jews still have a veil before their hearts because they do not perceive Christ's grace. They have a white film because they seem pure and righteous to themselves in comparison to all others. End of quote. This commentary from St. Bede resonates with me deeply and it's worth repeating. Let me say that again. The Jews still have a veil before their heart because they do not perceive Christ's grace. They have a white film because they seem pure and righteous to themselves in comparison to all others. 
It reminds me of those from the holier-than-thou or the self-righteous camp. They think they are more righteous than others, but in fact, blind to their own sins. The Pharisees in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, in which Jesus restored the sight of a blind man, comes to mind. After the blind man's sight was restored by Jesus, he was brought to the Pharisees for questioning on how he was healed. The once blind man told them it was Jesus who healed him. But they could not believe him, saying, How can a sinful man do such signs? We see that in John chapter 9, verse 16. The Pharisees question him again, this time together with his parents, so they could verify if he was born blind. Despite repeatedly questioning the once blind man, they still could not believe his testimony and threw him out in the end. That's the context of the healing of a blind man in John chapter 9. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. I will try to unpack them as I read them. And I quote, I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do see might become blind. Okay, let's pause here. I came into this world so that those who do not see might see, Relatively straightforward. It refers to Jesus Christ who came into the world so that the pagans or Gentiles who were yet in darkness before his coming might receive light. And likewise, and those who do see might become blind. This refers to the Jews who enjoyed having the light before the Gentiles might fall into darkness if they do not repent. Since the consequence of sin is darkness. The theme of light and darkness here in the Gospel of John in chapter 9 is remarkably consistent with what we've seen in the book of Tobit when viewed through the lens of Saint Bede. Saint Bede, I don't know who he was until I read his commentary on Tobit. Man, oh man, he is the bomb. As I was telling my wife that his allegory on Tobit is simply mind-blowing, she's like, isn't he the patron saint for Lectus? I checked, and she's right, he is. (laughs) My wife and I both serve as Lectus in our church, so his commentary resonates with me, not because Saint Bede is our patron saint, But they are simply the bomb. I mean, they are so good. Anyways, I digress. Let me continue to verse 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Let me pause here and unpack. In John chapter 9 verse 40, when the Pharisees said, Surely we are not also blind, are we? They are implying that they have no sin, since sin leads to darkness. So the attitude of the Pharisees in John verse 40 is one of arrogance, and they are blind to their sins. That's the irony, as written in first letter of John chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, and I quote, 
If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we acknowledge our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. Unquote. Again, no one can say we are without sin unless you are Mother Mary. She's the only exception I know of. And we see Jesus put the Pharisees in their place in the next verse. And I quote, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you're saying, We see, so your sin remains. Unquote. If you were blind refers to if you were physically blind, that is, if you have not heard of Jesus, have not read the scriptures, nor seen any miracles and his teachings, you might be excused for not believing. You would not be guilty of the sin of infidelity if you had not known them in the first place. By saying we see, that is, having been in the occasions and opportunities of seeing, and you boast of your knowledge of the scriptures, then you have no excuse. Your sin remains if you do not repent. As a side note, young babies who die are usually without sin since they know not the law. However, everyone we believe is born with the original sin, and that's why parents baptize their children when they are babies. The key takeaway here is, again, we are not in control. God is. If we think we are in control, we are deceiving ourselves. In summary, the overarching takeaway for me in the last two chapters is God is in control, not us. As written in Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. We've got to have faith and surrender ourselves to God. I'm not saying don't plan and do nothing. No, no, no. We all have a God-given talent or gift for us to make full use of. I mean, look at Tobit. He planned to die. And that's why he asked his son Tobiah to retrieve the money from Gabael, whom he deposited with a long time ago. But before he dies, he wants to give Tobiah the money. That was his plan. And as we know it, God has a different plan. Don't get me wrong. I too worry about the unknown, the uncertainty. I mean, nobody likes uncertainty, right? But if we have complete faith in God and trust in His providence and we do the best we know how, why do we still worry? If there's only one takeaway from the last two chapters of Tobit, that would be God is in control. All the twist and turn in the plot was not known, let alone planned for by Tobiah. But God, God is in control. We just need to work with him, just like how Tobiah works with Raphael. 
through his obedience of faith. So how do we do that? I propose the first step is to put God first in our lives. And if you have been giving thanks and praise to God, the first thing we get up, I would submit to you, we are already well on our way there, putting God first in our life. The next step is to surrender ourselves completely to God. How do we do that? Well, I'm still work in progress on that. But hopefully, the closing prayer I've chosen from St. Ignatius of Loyola can help ignite the fire in us to do just that, to surrender ourselves completely to God. In closing, let us recall to mind the blessings of creation and redemption. Why did God create me? And why is God redeeming me? I will ponder with great affection how much God our Lord has done for me and how much He has given me of what He possesses. And finally, how much, as far as He can, the same Lord desires to give Himself to me according to His divine decrees. Then I will reflect upon myself and consider, according to all reason and justice, what I ought to offer the divine majesty in return. That is, all I possess and myself with it. As one who is moved by deep gratitude, I will make this offering of myself. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will, all that I have, and all that I possess. You gave it all to me, Lord. I give it back to you. Do with it as you will, according to your good pleasure. Give me your love and your grace, for with this I have all that I need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Setting Apart podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and get notified so you won't miss any episode. And please feel free to give me your ratings and reviews so that others may get to listen as well. Thank you and God bless.